Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of Atlantic Southeast Airlines Flight 529. Thanks for listening. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I am going to give everybody kind of a heads up this week. I don't like to spoil the ending and, you know, take away from the the experience, but this one is rough and unlike most of the stories we do there's going to be some more explicit description of human suffering it's important for the story it just like the dhl flight that we did last year i yeah. don't uh, anything i have a uh, i space out stories where in order to tell the story and like do it justice, it requires talking about human suffering because in that human suffering, there's also a lot of like heroism and it's an important part of the story, but there's yeah. just no way around it. So everybody like, I love you, Mariah. And I asked you if it love was you. okay. And yeah. thank you for being down, but all of you guys yeah. like take care of yourselves. Yeah. Just heads up. And um, so today we're talking about Atlantic Southeast Airlines flight 529 okay and we're going back to august 21st 1995 oh, okay. so i don't think there's any smoking on this plane because no. it's a short flight from atlanta to biloxi mississippi uh short like not even a 90 minute flight little hop and atlantic southeast air airlines airways airlines who can say they are one of those like small regional airlines that just does these little you know hops from place to place and uh we're in a new aircraft that we haven't talked about before oh. uh, and um it's a uh, i'm gonna okay this is funny i realize this that at buffalo we pronounce this like manufacturer Embryar. Okay. I don't think that's probably how it's pronounced, but who can say? So <laughs> right. Embraer, I don't know, Embraer, I'm just going to say it like that, okay. uh, Bra- Brasilia. Um, and that is a, Embraer is a Brazilian air- airplane manufacturer, right? And uh, these little Brasilias are like small planes that seat like, 25 people or like maybe 25 to 30 people depending on your seat arrangement and uh it's like a little plane that at that time was uh very popular for regional airlines and like little regional flights and uh it was like the kind of a uh fast nice turboprop plane it has like the visible external propellers um two engines one on each wing and it was it was good in a lot of ways, but it was also like heavy and clunky and pilots kind of describe it as being very difficult to master, just like kind of a, a maybe a quirky, maybe frustrating kind of plane. Mm. If you had it down, maybe it was like very nice and it had it had its strengths, certainly, but it was kind of a, a, a pilot described it as a plane that pilots have a love hate relationship with just oh, okay. Some things are good about it. Some things are apparently very annoying about it. Yeah. And uh, we've got Captain Ed. He's 45. First Officer Matt. 
and uh, we get to know our flight attendant again. Uh, mm-hmm. Her name is Robin, and she's 37. And then we've got uh, 26 passengers, so there's 29 souls on board. And I realize that we've been in the South a lot lately. Yeah. Like we've been in Georgia a lot lately. Yeah. I don't know, guys. Like, who can say why? Yeah. Just tis the season for Atlanta stories. <laughs> so yeah. uh, this flight right is going to take off from atlanta and head over to biloxi and they've got it's like they're in the middle of their shift for the pilots and the flight attendant they've got uh they've had other flights earlier in the day they've got other flights after this they've been flying this plane around uh and this is the main aircraft used by their airline so um captain ed has uh, like thousands of hours on this aircraft. Uh, Matt is a little newer. He's doesn't have quite as much experience on this aircraft, but they're again, if it's kind of a quirky plane, they're they're totally competent. Short flight. They're hopping around, flying this plane all day. They take off from Atlanta fine but it's cloudy there's a lot of cloud cover today so as they're ascending taking off from atlanta the flight is uh it's bumpy right the way it is when you fly through clouds yeah and uh, nothing's wrong but it's bumpy and uh captain ed calls robin on the little phone there's just one flight attendant so it's just robin back there he calls uh, robin on the phone and says like hey it's bumpy and it's gonna be bumpy for a few more minutes so just stay seated and we'll you know, you can do your service in a few minutes. And she says, okie dokie. And uh, they are taking off and they're ascending. Air traffic control clears them to 20,000 feet. And as they pass through 18,000 feet, bam, there's a loud, horrible, horrible crash. It sounds mm-hmm. like, like an aluminum bat on a metal can. Just bam, the plane gets this insane smash and then starts to tilt to the right and starts to fall like the plane loses power and it's it starts to descend before they got to twenty thousand feet the plane tilts to the left the passengers and robin are in the cabin windows open and they can look out the window to the left and they can see that the left engine the left propeller the entire structure has ripped off the left wing and is dangling like just dangling off the wing and by ripping off and then like pulling down on the wing it's like deformed the left wing the pilots don't see that the pilots are just in the cockpit doing a normal day of work and the plane suddenly like makes this insane loud sound and starts to fall out of the sky and tilt to the left so it they had had the autopilot on uh the autopilot immediately shut off and they're getting a bunch of like the whoop whoop and like all these different like blaring loud warnings they're getting an oil warning they're getting a left engine warning they're getting a left engine fire warning like all of that Mm. stuff is going off and the plane is like pulling hard to the left as it's descending so ed grabs the yoke and is trying as hard as he can using all of his strength to try to keep the plane steady just to keep it from like spinning to the left because if it just if nobody took the controls when the plane is pulling so hard to the left and descending it would start to spiral right and it would just be totally uncontrollable so ed is holding as hard as he can trying as hard as he can to just keep the plane level 
as the plane continues to fall. So they were at 18,000 feet. They are falling 90 feet per second and picking up more and more and more speed as they fall. They're getting that loud oil, oil, oil is one of like five different loud audible warnings that are going off in the cabin. The oil from that wing is leaking into the air conditioning and making smoke like oil smoke, like horrible, heinous oil smoke is like filling the cabin and it's starting to leak into the cockpit. The Pilots are overwhelmed, to say the least, but they do turn off the air conditioning. God bless them, because that I can't even imagine how many different things are trying to absorb at once. And I can't imagine being in the cabin. Right. Right. I don't want to be Robin. I don't want to be any of these passengers because this just went from a totally normal flight to falling out of the sky as the cabin fills up with smoke that stinks of burning oil. This has gone horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Inside the cockpit, they respond to the oil warning, but they're getting screamed at. They do not realize that the engine has totally like fallen off, that the propeller and the engine are just hanging from the wing. They just know that the engine has failed. Now, I am going to say this. They, the, from where Ed is sitting in, on the left side of the cockpit, if he turns and looks over his left shoulder, he would be able to see it from his vantage point. Mm. But I think we can all understand why he's not turning away while he's desperately trying to control the plane. He's right. focused, looking forward, trying to control the aircraft. The the We've talked sometimes about how there's like a very strong physical component when things go very, very wrong like yeah. this. So he is, in order to try to keep the plane remotely level, he's pulling the yoke to the right and having to apply full right rudder on with his feet, right, on the pedal. So he is exerting a huge amount of like physical energy into his controls just to keep the plane even slightly level to keep it from spinning out of control and he is not able to control the pitch at all they are just descending these planes should be able to fly with one engine And Captain Ed, the man himself, has emergency landed one of these planes before when one of the engines failed. So he's been, to the best of his knowledge, because neither pilot realizes that the engine is dangling and not not just failed it hasn't just failed it's it's totally now it's it's gone essentially it's worse than gone because if it fell off completely it wouldn't be creating all that drag and pulling them to the left so hard so uh, he there's the confusion of the situation but i imagine there's also just some like human frustration because an engine failure should not be causing this level of problem right right so Ed orders Matt to feather the propeller and that what that would do, he thinks that the engine has just failed. If he feathers the propellers, it will change the angle of the blades to create less drag. He doesn't understand why there's so much drag. Now, feathering the propellers, we know, is not going to do anything because the propellers are hanging off dangling, right? right? Um, But they don't know that. So Ed orders, uh, who is flying, orders Matt to feather the propellers 
he does and just know nothing is improved obviously the warning lights say the engine is on fire the engine they say like they're getting all these screaming things ed is trying to control the descent and the tilt at the same time and he starts to yell out like i need some help here i need some help which like yes he does and that is a very human thing to express in that moment right Mm -hmm. matt is to be clear no hate to matt matt is doing everything (laughs) that he can do and is doing whatever whatever uh ed tells him to but that very human thing of just saying like i need some help i need some help i need some help because he does need some help yeah matt is matt grabs the yoke and basically just doubles the captain's efforts so he pulls the yoke to the right and presses the the rudder pedal down so he's basically just like physically supporting this intense physical effort that the captain is having to apply they're hyper focused on and using all of their physical strength while they are extremely confused in this loud blaring cockpit that was fine just a few seconds ago right they uh Ed could again he could look but he hasn't looked yet if the plane spins are going to crash Robin our girl Robin God bless her the flight attendant in the back she's on the plane right she's scared she can feel that things are not right she can see out the window that the engine is dangling she can see all of the scared passengers and Robin just goes into like southern mom mode and she's just like okay y'all like let's all stay calm you know these planes are meant to are able to fly with one engine like nothing to worry about here and she starts to like go down and like tries to like reassure everybody and help everybody stay calm she tries to go down the the aisle and shut all the windows and some of the passengers like let her shut the windows and some of the passengers are like get it from me <laughs> like i know yeah. i'm gonna look out this window yeah and they which again these are just a plane full of people and people are gonna deal with the situation in different ways so she's just like walking down the aisle being like okay guys like who remembers our like procedures you know like she's just trying to keep everybody okay right everything's oh, gonna be God. okay right the pilots are working together to be able to just get the rate of of descent down right they're kind of working together they're able to like kind of get the the wings to stop tilting so hard so they're not in danger of spinning as long as they keep applying that pressure to the right but they're still descending incredibly rapidly um, both pilots are so confused yeah. they should be able to fly with one engine at 14,000 feet so now that they've dropped 4,000 feet they call ATL uh, Matt is handling the communication right because Ed is doing the bulk of the flying at 14,000 feet Matt calls air traffic or air traffic control at ATL and says uh, or declares an emergency and says we would like to come back to ATL that's where they just taken off from right so uh, air traffic control says like sure like you got it and and responds affirmatively that he understands that they're declaring an emergency matt asks him to have the uh like fire trucks and emergency crews present and the air traffic controller is like hopping into action and he he responds in the affirmative that he's heard them and he knows that they're asking for emergency services and that they're declaring an emergency but he doesn't do it and like he's just hyper hyper focused on trying to help them and does not does not call emergency services and alert them they are 58 miles away from atl they are 
uh, in order to get back to ATL, because this whole time they're flying away, right, from Atlanta, um, they make, they lean into that drag, right, on the left side, and they make, like, a big left turn. They still haven't seen the engine hanging off the wing. They make a big left turn and turn back toward Atlanta, but they're still sinking, and Ed is having some real questions about whether or not they're going to make it to Atlanta. Ed shuts off all of the like like loud blaring warnings he just like enough like clicks that off uh the plane has been sinking and as it sinks it speeds up and as it speeds up it the nose actually lifts a little bit right from the the speed it kind of catches that as it speeds up and it catches like the nose lifts up just a smidge so their rate of descent slows and their speed slows down which is good Mm because they were going way too fast just hurtling toward the ground but even as the plane slows a little bit they're not actually they're still they're still descending at 11,000 feet they regain they regain some control as they're heading back toward Atlanta Matt calls Robin to tell her that they lost an engine and they're going back to Atlanta for an emergency landing and asks her if she can brief the passengers now Robin has been on it right Robin has she's expecting this call she's been briefing the passengers right. Robin does not realize that the pilots do not know that the engine oh. is dangling off the wing so she does not tell them okay. she thinks that they're on the same page and have the same information right so I mean she they does said not tell we only them. have one engine right right so. she, she they obviously know that they've lost an engine right. so she she's says yep um, you got yeah. it boss and yeah. does not provide them with that information because she assumes that they have it the plane is still descending atlanta air traffic control asks them if they're able to level off basically the air traffic controller is like are you able to level off because i see that you are descending very quickly as you approach and Ed, God bless him, right, is just use, I mean, this is unbelievably scary, confusing, bizarre, out of nowhere. And Ed is basically like, well, no, no, I can't right. level off. I, w- I would like to level off, want to do it, boss, can't do it, boss. Yeah. So uh, Ed says, like, we're going to need to keep descending is the way that he says it to Matt, because Matt's the one communicating. And Matt repeats exactly that. We're going to need to keep descending. Uh, we need an airport quick. They're at 10,000 feet, and they realize that they are not going to make it to Atlanta. It Mm. is too far away. (sighs) Air traffic control offers them an airport that is much closer. It's called uh, West Georgia Regional Airport, so it's a small regional airport. So the, the air traffic controller offers them that, and he still hasn't remembered to alert the emergency crews the pilots lean into the drag and make a left turn so they can turn toward west georgia regional airport they're the closer airport they're like yep that's what we need is a closer airport they're more than 10 miles away from that but it's much closer than atlanta they're at nine thousand feet they're turning toward west georgia regional airport and ed now as he's flying calls for Matt to do the engine failure checklist, right? Cause this is really the first time that they've had a free like moment to do that. And, uh, but they're, they're falling incredibly fast and Matt starts to call out the checklist items, but it, there's it, a, nothing is happening because again, they do not realize that nothing, there's no, nothing they're going to do to restart this engine because it's dangling off the wing. Right. right? 
but uh, in the cabin, Robin is going up and down the aisle, you know, like go to having people like practice like the brace position. She's telling people like you got to keep your head down. She's telling people to. And this again, I think if you were a passenger on this plane, this is a very scary situation. Even yeah. if the flight attendant is a nice southern mom and she is just telling you like, hey, y'all, it's OK. Right. Just practice the brace position. Right. It's scary. Right. And she tells everybody, like, remove all your jewelry, remove anything sharp. She tells people if you have a drink to pour the drink into the seat pocket in front oh of my you God. and you can imagine right and it's it's kind of it's small but it also makes you think like oh well they don't they're not worried about us messing up this plane like right. this plane is they're it's writing toast, off yeah. the, the plane right yeah <sighs> at seven thousand feet they start to get warnings again the warnings all kick up again and Jeez. they start to get like blaring noise they're getting trim warnings ed is trying to get a sense of what the runway at this airport is like he doesn't know anything about west georgia regional airport thank god they're not in like a 747 or some massive plane that needs a huge runway but they are in a commercial plane right like he wants to know what to expect at the runway um but he's starting to like really doubt that they're even going to make it there even though it's so much closer so the air traffic controller is talking to them and giving them like guidance to this airport and suddenly they blip off his radar screen and he's like hey you know uh can you give me your uh, uh altitude because they're just whoop, off his radar screen and they respond because what has actually happened is they've gotten so low that they are not able to be picked up by the Atlanta airport's approach radar. Wow. They're too low for it because they've they're dipping down. They've crossed through seven thousand feet. So he's obviously very happy that they haven't blipped off his screen because they've crashed. But he's right. using the radar, and as they're falling, 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 he tells them, okay, like, he's going to switch them over to the air traffic control that handles the, uh, like, local approach and landing at the regional airport. So he gives them the new information and tells them to to switch over to that radio frequency. Still hasn't called emergency services and doesn't give, like, a heads up because he's not kind of putting all that stuff into into place when he hands them over to the other air traffic controller that air traffic controller is getting this information cold right so and again i'm not trying to beat up the air traffic controller but this no, is of course not a yeah. bad situation yeah they're still in the clouds i don't know if i've like really been able to I, I feel like I failed to mention that this whole time because it's a cloudy day. They're flying through clouds. So as they're talking about, like, what's this airport like as they're trying to figure out if they're close enough, if they're high enough, how fast they're descending, how far they've got left before they hit the ground, they're in cloud cover. So two minutes of flight time from the airport that they're going to try to land in West Georgia Regional Airport, they switch over to the local air traffic controller. At 4,000 feet, they are pretty sure that they are not going to make it, even though it's only two minutes of flight time away. They switch over to the local air traffic controller, and Ed turns around and looks over his shoulder for the first time and sees that the engine is just dangling. Ugh. He turns back around and says, like, it's exploded. Like, it's just hanging off there. And so he's they're realizing at the same time, A, that engine is 
100% toast. B, it is not going to stop creating this huge amount of drag. Right. C, that that they're getting lower and lower, faster and faster. They can't get the nose to come up. They can't slow their rate of descent. And they're not even going to make it to this tiny regional airport. Oh. When they contact the local air traffic controller, he, the air, local air traffic controller understands that it's an emergency, but had, had, doesn't have all of this background information, right? And he tries to give them a vector to the airport that is somewhat circuitous. Like he does, he doesn't, he's not aware of how extreme the problem is. And uh, Ed is like running the calculation in his mind. And he's like, I do not think that is the most direct way to that airport. And so he tells Matt to ask for just a direct vector. We're going to do a visual approach. We need the shortest possible route to that airport. Yeah. Matt repeats all of that. The air traffic controller accepts it. That air traffic controller doesn't call emergency services either. Oh, fuck. At 2,000 feet above the ground, they fly out of the clouds. They get underneath the clouds. They can see what's in front of them, and they can't see the airport. They're not close enough to the airport to see it. All they can see underneath them is houses and trees and oh, forest gosh. and places where they cannot land. This, I hate this. Ed starts to stutter a little bit because he's under so oh, much stress. Yeah. And God damn it. He, he says that he needs Matt to read the single engine landing checklist, which is some good aviation, right? That he's still like keeping his head on straight in yeah. the situation. And Robin has been walking up and down the cabin trying to help people and she looks out the window and she can see how low they are and she can see that they are definitely not flying to Atlanta, which is the last thing she was told, right? The last thing she knew they were flying back to Atlanta and she can see how low they are and she can see that they are definitely not flying back to Atlanta, but she's... She is going to handle this situation with a smile, and she is trying to help the people. And the, the plane dips down below 1,900 feet, and the local air traffic controller loses them on radar. They're too low. Now he realizes the air traffic controller finally really, at the local airport, finally really realizes that they are descending way too fast, that they're not going to make it to this airport. Robin starts to like yell out for passengers and to get into brace positions and she's yelling at people to keep their heads down. She's like, you know, just like screaming out things and she starts to see the tops of trees and she runs back to her seat and like straps herself in and she's screaming and like heads down brace four miles from the airport, from the small airport. They give up on the airport completely. They're just like, they know they're not going to make it. The ground is coming toward them fast. Matt points to a field that has uh, like a, in amongst all of these trees and houses, there's like a hay field or something. He points to it. Mm-hmm. They're going 138 miles per hour and they turn toward that field. The plane is extremely hard to maneuver, but they try to just get lined up with a field going so, so fast. And Ed is like, help me hold it, help me hold it, help me hold it. And Matt yells out, Amy, I love you, which is his wife's name. And that's the last thing the CVR cuts out. 
they start to hit trees that are in front of the field on the belly of the plane. They haven't put their landing gear down, which is a strategic decision that they made because they know they're landing not on a runway, they're landing in a field. So they they hit the ground in the field on their belly. And the plane slides away 138 miles an hour when they hit the field. They slide forward and the plane lifts off for a minute, hits like a little hill and actually is airborne again for a minute. And Jeez. then it slams back down onto the ground, snaps in half and slides forward until it stops. At that moment... When the plane slides to a stop, at that moment, everyone is still alive. And if you want to spare yourself, you can skip the rest of this episode. I would not blame you. So at that moment, everyone's still alive. There is a nice old couple, the Jetters, and they live at the edge of this field. And Mm. they look out the window. They're and see that a plane has crashed behind their house. And the husband gets up and his wife goes to get the phone to call 911. And he walks out their bill. The husband walks out toward the plane crash to see if he can help anybody. And when Mrs. Jetters calls 911, it's the first time they've been alerted Jeez. at that moment. Yeah. She's the first one to tell them. <sighs> On board... For about 60 seconds, for about a full minute, there's kind of nothing. It's Mm. silent. It's still. Some people have been knocked out by the extremely, I mean, just brutal impact. Right. Some people have broken bones, but there's not a lot happening for the first 60 seconds. Mm. But the wing broken snapped and it's leaking fuel into this hay field and it starts to spark yeah inside the cockpit ed is knocked out cold gone cold he's alive but he's knocked out cold matt kind of comes back to consciousness right like it just wakes up and he he tries to move his shoulder is out of socket on one of his arms so his one of his arms is out of socket and he tries to get up to go through the cockpit door but it's totally jammed and blocked he can't get through that so they have those emergency axes which who like those axes like fire axes or something where anytime I see a fire axe I get kind of like a chill feeling because it's a very smart idea but I just think like oh my gosh anytime you're using a fire axe is oh like the situations related to those tools are not great yeah Matt has again one of his arms out of socket he takes the axe and starts to try to hack with his one arm that's good away at the window of the cockpit he's kind of like he doesn't have a lot of movement cockpits of small planes are not big right Right. so he's trying to hack away at the window but it's this like pathetic flimsy little fire axe and the window is extremely tough so as he hacks away at it it's just like a little chip 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 the fire the, the fuel the fumes ignite 
few passengers had gotten out of the plane before it ignited. Once it ignites, it catches on fire and it quickly spreads and just in blocks. So there's fire right at the mouth of the hole where the plane has split in half. The Uh. fire is right there because that's where like the breakage point. So there's people inside both halves of the plane and there's a huge hot fire burning hay and fuel and fuselage right at the mouth of it and some of the passengers some of the passengers their instinct they immediately just jump down into the fire and run Mm. away from the fuselage to try to get away from it people are afraid the plane's going to explode the inside the fuselage is getting hotter and hotter and hotter so there's people who are on fire there's people who are on fire and they do what you're supposed to do and they stop drop and roll and roll in the jet fuel that's soaking the ground and robin Robin had gotten off the plane and there's a woman who is on fire and she takes her clothes off and she's beating the fire trying to put the woman out and she's yelling at other passengers to help her like she yells at a guy who had gotten off early like first and so he wasn't really as injured and she's telling him like take off your clothes like help me try to beat this fire out and the people inside the plane like it's getting hotter and hotter and in the cockpit behind Matt, his oxygen that they have for the pilots in case there's like a depressurization event, the oxygen starts to leak and the cockpit starts to burn and he's hacking away with his one arm at the window and he gets a little bit of a hole into it and he screams out the window for someone to help him and David, one of the passengers, just one of the passengers, hears him and comes over. And guys, you know how small a cockpit is. Like, you know how small that is. And there's like a burning fire inside the cockpit. And he's trapped in there. And Ed is trapped in there, but he's unconscious. And he can't breathe. And Matt, like, hands the axe through this little hole to David so that David can try to like hack away at it and but he the the only place where Matt can breathe is the hole so he's like putting his nose up to the hole trying to breathe but that keeps David from hacking away at it and so so Matt like pulls back into the cabin which is so hot and David is hacking away at it hacking away at it hacking away at it but it's this flimsy, stupid, useless, tiny axe. I, outside of this plane, the amount of human suffering is impossible to describe. Mm. People are being are being burned. Horribly, people are trying to put other human beings out. Bill, the the nice old guy from the corner, finds a man who's 
body has been burned. The man is walking, but his clothes have all been burned off and his body is so burned and the man is in shock. And he like just walks the guy to one of the houses. (sighs) The David is hacking, 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 hacking away at this window. And the axe head of the axe flies off because it's this flimsy piece of crap and he goes to pick it up but he doesn't the the heat when he goes to try to go back to keep beating the window to try to get it open the heat from inside the cockpit like blasts out at him and he like steps back Mm. and matt screams can see him he's alive he can see him and he screams you're not just gonna leave me here to die are you and like David has a family like David's a person just a regular person and he goes back and he tries to hack it the way with the stupid crappy thing and now just now some emergency crews are starting to arrive this is like rural Georgia in the 90s Right. right so as these like crews start to arrive cop a random cop named guy is the first person to get there just he just ha- he's the first person who arrives he's not a fireman he can't do anything about the fire he's just the first guy who gets there and he gets there and like it just smells like jet fuel and the burning human skin and there's people with hideous horrible burns everywhere and people are screaming this is a horrific 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 scene and david sees that like there's somebody here finally and he like screams for the for guy the cop to come help him and guy comes over and tries to like open the window but it's it's unbelievably hot right he can't touch it and matt is in there matt's alive matt's can see them trying to get him out the firefighters start to get there and there's steve this like again just rural firefighter he sees what's happening and he goes through the fire behind the cockpit the fire has like burned away at the wall and the door between like what was an impassable barrier behind matt and ed has now gotten just burned away and and steve uses his hands to push away and basically just knock down the barrier and grabs matt and pulls him out and as he pulls him out he gets him out of the plane and they put him out because he is on fire they and matt is horribly horribly burned Mm. and he like looks at steve and he's like tell my wife amy i love her and steve is like no you tell her you love her and he gets them to like onto a paramedics like on a a stretcher or whatever and the paramedic her name is joan crawford god bless her it's a real god-given name joan crawford (laughs) the paramedic in rural georgia and she she doesn't think for a second that Matt is going to live and she strips all of his clothes off except his underwear and she takes his pin and puts it on they pull they pull Ed out but he's gone he never woke up he never woke up oh Ed and they're so this rural community has 
horribly, horribly, horribly burned victims and broken bones and concussions and all of the normal things you would get from a impact. And they're trying to like load people up and they're trying to coordinate like which hospital to go to, like, you know, who's because you these are small rural hospitals, right? They they right. handle as much as they can, but you can't, you have to be thoughtful about that. So in the ambulance on the way over to the hospital, Joan is sobbing and sobbing and Aww. sobbing because of course she is. And Matt is her patient right. in the ambulance with her. And he's got his like burned hand, his like horribly burned hand. And he like wipes away her tear from her cheek and he's trying to comfort her so there were 29 people on board there were 29 people on board nine of them died wow 20 people survived which is wonderful that they survived i don't want to pretend that people who survived were not severely harmed um of the 20 people who survived 12 had serious injuries but these rural hospitals like if you watch interviews from this or anything like the the doctors and nurses like this was extremely traumatic yeah. for this community right this was extremely for the people for the the but the hospitals like the their doctors that worked there and they talk about the how they like came into work right they got like an all call basically like any medical staff that it's your day off but you know you go to the hospital to try to help yeah. and like they walk in and it just smells like burning human flesh yeah. and jet fuel and with burn patients very 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 often they are going to die but they do not die immediately right so a lot of people were of the nine people who died besides captain ed most of them were alive when they got to the hospital and just that hideous horrific horrific human suffering the co-pilot the first officer did live and he had 50 surgeries his body was very badly burned but he actually went back to commercial aviation and is right now a commercial pilot now right like today right now he's a commercial pilot and that's amazing like that's incredible oh this one is horrible um the cause is horrible too uh so it's a prop plane right it's a prop plane and you know big visible propellers outside of the engine right and this when the ntsb got there and they saw the propeller They were like, okay, so it's probably the propeller because this stupid plane, the Brasilia, had had three prior incidents related to the propellers, including another crash where everyone died four years earlier. So 
there was that crash and then there were two other emergency landings because of these propellers so the ntsb gets there and they're like okay we're going to check the propeller right and oh i hate this so 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 much there's a guy named chris and chris works at a propeller factory for hamilton standard propellers and he's watching the coverage on tv of the crash and he thinks oh god i hope it's not a propeller and so the ntsb gets the propeller and like hell yeah it's the propeller the propellers what's wrong with these propellers is that they get so so they're stress fractures right Mm. people get stress fractures planes get stress stress fractures one of the things that can happen, right? If you are constantly using something, yeah, over time it can break, right? And the these propellers, all propellers are hollow, right? But there's different ways of handling that, right? So these propellers, Hamilton Standard propellers, are uh, are hollow, and inside of them they have weights for for balance right and then they have um in the center there's cork that's been soaked in chlorine and in after the third incident which was like just a like a year or so or two years prior to this crash that we're talking about right now they had shown that the chlorine caused corrosion because chlorine is corrosive and there was a reason why they used chlorine but basically what would happen is if there was a stress fracture then the chlorine would leak out into the stress fracture and then it would make it worse by corroding it and it would compound the problem until it broke and they tended to break at like exactly 13 inches from the base like there was a very predictable very clear issue right so when after the third incident because of the propellers uh they had recalled all fifteen thousand of these propellers right all the propellers from all across the country they they called recalled all of them and inspected all of them and either you know repaired refurbished destroyed whatever was needed and this propeller that had been that was now on this crashed plane had somebody had inspected it when they got it at the recall center looked at it and said ah yes stress fracture and they had sent it to the refurbishment place where chris god bless him had taken it inspected it he had more rudimentary tools to inspect it he inspected it and couldn't couldn't see a stress fracture Mm. he didn't see signs of corrosion he didn't see a stress fracture and then as he was told to as was their practice he polished it internally like he polished the area where the cork would be and then like reinserted new cork so he polished it and when he polished it he was not he did not realize that by polishing it he was covering up evidence of a stress crack or fracture Mm. like a, a the he covered up the the what would have been visible yeah under more advanced like ultrasound detection so he did what he was supposed to do he polished it sent it on to the next step the last inspection before it went back to planes where the inspector now that it's been polished used like ultrasound equipment to search for a stress fracture 
didn't see it, said it was okay, sent it back out. It was put on this plane on September 30th, 1994, and the mm. plane crashed in August of 1995. And, like, God damn it. Right. Like, oh, my gosh. Ugh. I hate this one so much. Yeah. So... So, yeah, I mean, the NTSB said it was the stress fracture. It broke. And they said that the pilots did great and it wasn't their fault, which is definitely true. Yeah. Um, But, ugh. So, at what point, though, like, and I think about this a lot because I feel like this actually does kind of come up, like, a little bit often. I wouldn't say all the time, but... Mm. why can't pilots see the fucking plane? I don't understand that. I feel like this is this is definitely not the first story we've had where it's like the pilots didn't know it wrong because they could, literally couldn't see it. Right. And it just yeah. seems like, and you know, I am a pilot of a car. I don't know how to fly fucking planes, but like right. I need to see the car in order to drive it properly. I don't know. It just, it's... It's bizarre to me that they wouldn't have that function. I know. And I've, I, uh, I would have fixed anything, but. But you'd think it would be nice. It would be very nice. Yeah. Right. Or like your car has the reverse. Yeah. The camera, like the backup camera. Right. And, you know, pilots don't have that. Planes don't reverse also, but that's, but you get what I mean. Like the, the, I don't disagree with you, and I don't even know if anyone disagrees with you. And the only reason when I've asked that question when I worked for Delta, I remember people saying that the the reason that people postulated there was just that if you add equipment to a plane, then what do you do if that equipment breaks? Like, if you have, like, yeah. all these cameras all over the plane, are you going to have flights, like, delayed or canceled because... The camera on like wing two isn't on the left wing isn't working right and that seems like simultaneously a possible answer but also so lame yeah (laughs) so lame we would never evolve as a species is that that's what we said all the time you know yeah like even i don't know stationary mirrors so i don't like i don't know someone out there knows (laughs) you know how how to do i just I don't know. Well, and with a car, like if your car makes a weird sound or your car suddenly starts to like do something weird, you're you're on the ground. Right. You can pull over and look at it. Right. Right. Under almost all circumstances, you can pull over and see what's going on with your car. Right. And but not with a plane. Yeah. You can land. But yeah, I mean, in this case, from where they were, right, Ed could see it when he did turn around yeah. but matt had no way of seeing it he, it's right. not possible from where he is unless he gets up and looks outside and there are things i mean it is the case that pilots if pilots are worried that they're leaking fuel or if yeah. they're worried about something with the ailerons or if they're worried that the the gear isn't down or something like that they will get up and go into the cabin and look out the window right but then like cargo planes don't have that cargo planes don't have windows you know what i mean i know yeah. they have like small windows at right. the doors and stuff but they don't have windows like commercial, commercial or yeah. like uh you know 
passenger planes do, right? And they don't have a flight attendant who they could ask. Right. Because that's another thing. I mean, this was an unbelievable, it was about, it was like eight minutes from the initial, like, bang to being on the ground. Yeah. And in that amount of time, the flying was physically demanding and the cabin the cockpit was noisy and loud and they weren't having great communication with the air traffic control i think what i hate about this one so much besides the fire just massive suffering is like the amount of guilt Mm. people would carry from this like even if like the air traffic controller even if you can see how it could happen i just don't believe for a second that like that the air traffic controllers who didn't call emergency services don't feel guilty that the that chris the guy who works in the in the in the refurbishment yeah section or whatever doesn't feel guilty and like the uh, passengers a lot of the passengers felt survivor's guilt yeah and i mean it's and, yeah. and just the amount of trauma that yeah. your body has to be able to withstand oh. to survive something like that. Right. Right. Like is is wild. Oh. Gosh. It's yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. And I mean, these things like affect there are fewer people in rural communities, right? That's the whole thing with rural communities. There's less people walking around yeah and the i know i've talked about this before but like the you know volunteer fire departments are obviously a big thing in rural communities and like that's wonderful like that they're there to do that right um but i know that just in my area where i grew up i I think i've said this before but there was i'm not going to describe it but there was a very horrible fire in the county I grew up in and a lot of the volunteer firefighters responded to that fire and quit because of course, because yeah, yeah, I don't blame them one bit. Right. Yeah. There was, I was in a class in community college in my, in my hometown and there was uh, one of the volunteer firefighters who had responded to that call was in one of my classes and it was like a, uh, first aid class mm. and somehow that fire was referenced and he talked about it and he's like a just like a very tough like meaty dad and he cried and yeah. tried really hard not to cry yeah. tried very hard not to cry and couldn't and uh, I don't blame him even a tiny bit no. not even a remotely a that's not even a speck of blame no. but he couldn't do it anymore and so like you lose your fire department when yeah. that happens yeah. right yeah totally oh but like how many doctors and nurses and firefighters and cops and all that stuff like how many emergency responders are there even in a small community and then if they with, suffer yeah. so horribly with everybody else there was another neighbor who could see the crash from his house was a man who was himself in a wheelchair from an accident and he talked about just watching it and all he could think about is how like it like you know re-traumatized him because he's watching them and he's thinking about how like 
this is it. Like, this is the moment that, like, their lives are never going to be the same again after yeah. this. And, like... Yeah, I mean, and he knows, like... Ugh. Right. Like, he, in his bones, he knows. And, ugh. But I, I wanted to tell it because, again, all of those people did... Like, everybody stepped up and, like, just, like, in a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. And, oh, there's, like, the, I don't, I'm not good about, like, inserting, like, other sounds in these episodes. Yeah. But there's, like, the 911 call mm. where, like, old Mrs. Jetters called 911. Yeah. And she's just, like... A prey, a, you know, a plane crashed in our yard, and the God. this is the first the emergency the like dispatcher is hearing anything about this, and she's just like a plane crashed in your yard, and ugh, right, wow. But Matt is flying right now. He might be in the air I, at this moment, for all we know. Would you? Do you think you could continue flying? I don't think I, I mean, could. I don't think I, I mean, I got stuck in the elevator the other day and I still like can barely take the fucking elevator. <laughs> like that. I, that is, I, I am so afraid of getting stuck in an elevator. It's, I mean, it's horrifyingly scary, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I mean God never, bless him for doing it. Yeah. You know, you know, I was in like a car accident. Um, yeah. I don't even remember 2010 maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And I definitely never drove the same. Yeah. I was a very bad driver before, but I was a cocky bad driver right. and I'm a cautious bad driver. So it makes a big difference. Yeah. But I mean, it does. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that there's something that Matt said that he was, he has no memory from when they hit the trees to when he like woke up he has that's like a missing chunk of his memory oh, wow. and i i imagine i don't know this i'm this is complete speculation but i imagine that he that the trauma is going to come up more often in his life would be being trapped yes yeah i was just thinking that like i cannot imagine i mean your life is flashing before your eyes like yeah you are well, and David, like, oh just my the God, guy the side, who's trying yes. to get him out, that is. Just so the desperation, like the internal yeah. desperation is so extreme. Oh, that is another change the FAA made was uh, improved fire axes. So, oh, well, that's yes. good. Jeez. Ugh. Ugh. No. Ugh. Yeah. This one is horrible, but it's, it is, it is amazing and wonderful that people did survive. survive. Yeah. Robin was like, um, very honored by like all these different organizations. Yeah. Obviously both pilots were, you know, and I, um, as well as she should be, I don't know if she kept being a flight attendant. Yeah. That'd be very hard. Yeah. 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 Gosh. No. Robin. Oh. God bless flight that attendants. Oh, they're there primarily for your safety. Right. They're there primarily for your safety. Right. 
that is i always appreciate it when pilots say that as part of their like spiel like the flight attendants are there primarily for your safety they also bring you snacks it's a wonderful extra service they provide but they will also frantically try to put you out if you are on fire yes and calm you down when they are one foot off the ground about to crash exactly and they will duct tape you to the seat if you don't (laughs) if you don't stay in line and i all of these are things that i'm glad flight attendants are there to do because sometimes people got to be duct taped to their seat truly no being rowdy on a plane no nobody needs that nobody needs that no nobody no one you don't need that either (laughs) right i don't think anyone who listens to this podcast would be rowdy on a plane though i would hope not no, but maybe someone on that listens to this podcast would help a flight attendant duct tape someone to a yes. seat. I'd like to think that would I'd be like great. to think that. Yeah, that would be great. Listen, guys, you gotta stay calm. There have been, I don't know, there have been um, a lot of like airline aero news lately. I don't know if you've seen some of the things, but one of the featured stories has been, um. That like airlines are losing a lot of luggage lately um, mm. and a lot of that is due to staff shortages because, you know, obviously mm. with COVID, so many people got laid off or they quit or they, right. you know, early retirement, whatever. And so they like the workforce is, you know, they just literally don't have enough people to do the job. And um I don't know, just like the, I appreciated the articles that I was reading about it because it was just like, you know, like, let's remember um, that we're all humans here and we're just really trying to do yeah. our our best. And, you know, along with six tips on how to not, not lose your bag or whatever it is. But right. um, I don't know, it just made me think like, yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. It's a tough time right now. I think we can all kind of agree um, yeah. regardless of where you are. It's just kind of a, a really tough, it's been a really tough couple of years and it, it doesn't seem to be letting up a lot and yeah. let's just continue to be kind together to each other right. and I don't know. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, the person that you talk to who works in the baggage office, right. that person definitely did not lose your bag. No, absolutely that person not. had nothing to do with it. They are going to help you get it back. Yeah. So they're, they're they are literally only there to help you. That's the only thing that they even can do. There's no way for them to harm you. Right. right? And nothing, nothing is magic. No. Right. It's not, it's not magic. So like a, uh, human beings have to like physically lift your bag and put it onto the plane and do all of that and keep track of it and scan it and take it off the plane. And all that stuff has to happen in real time, in real space with human hands doing the literal heavy lifting and yeah, yeah, if it's a time, if you're in a situation where you want to work for an airline and get flight benefits, this might be your moment. Right. Um, yeah, truly. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, truly. Yeah. Well, and I think with everything so like, elec- um, what's the word? <laughs> I was going to say electronic, electronized, but that's not the word. Um, digitized? Digitized. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> everything so i'm not sure yeah no it is um with everything so digitized i think it's easy to forget like it takes you out of that reality of you Mm -hmm. know there's a whole other labor force 
on the other end of mm-hmm. this, making sure that these that this thing works. Like, yeah, you bought your ticket online. Maybe you checked in yeah. yourself. Maybe you didn't even talk to anybody when you put your bag on the card or whatever. Right. Um, but literally yeah, on the other side true. of the curtain, it's people doing all of that stuff, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. That was like something with like big planes or if people decide, if people check bags and decide not to fly or if people um, are going on an international flight and check bags in and then don't show up for the flight for whatever Mm, reason, mm -hmm. right? They, between, somehow between checking a bag and getting to the gate, they got lost. I don't know what happened. But that was like a huge hassle if you have to get the plane, the bag off the plane because the, um, like with international flights, the law, the like rules are that if the person is not flying with the bag, you the bag cannot fly. Yeah. So that would happen if people like checked a bag and then for whatever reason didn't fly, we'd have to like get the big thing, like the big machine and like lift it up and take out the like huge crate oh, that has all the luggage inside and take it out at, like with at JAL, right? But it, guys, I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know if it's different now, but when I worked at Buffalo... Um, we would just tell people either your bag is gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like you're here still, but your bag, your bag was on time. Yeah. So your bag is gone. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry that happened yeah. genuinely, but it's gone. Yeah. And, um, the never, ever, 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 ever put your car keys in your bag no. that you check. No, no, no. Never put your medicine in the bag that you check. If you need something, it, Guys, people who work at the airport don't check bags very often at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. But never put your car keys above all. Your passport never Nothing, goes yeah. in your checked bag. Yeah. Yeah. Checked bags are for like knickknacks. I don't know, guys, yeah. what goes in a checked bag. But, uh, oh, and I wanted to say briefly, um, our girl Aubrey sent us um, a a plane crash like near her house. Holy shit! But like from this week. Whoa. But like, thank God it was a little plane crash, and the people who were on it walked away, which oh, is wonderful. God. But she like walked down the street and took Whoa. pictures of it. Like it's just yeah, it's crazy. I'm gonna ask her if we can put the pics on uh the pictures on yeah the instagram but god um, what are the chances i mean it's so rare i know i know it's a it's a small you know it's like a a little personal plane yeah personal pan pizza plane (laughs) but thank god everybody lived a book it pizza plane (laughs) did um what's your fact this week um well, first, so I was laughing because oh, yeah. I I um saw on our story that a, a kilometer is not a kilometer is not a football field. Oh, like, right, right. Our dearest darling Steve, <laughs> who wrote the um, "Smoking on a Plane" song for us, sent me a very compassionate and very sweet text message saying, "Casey, a." He said, I love your rants about measurements yeah. and it's great. 
Um, <laughs> we need but, to do some measurement merch. We that's the only merch we could ever do. Right. What would anyone else want? Right. It's just going to be like <laughs> it's not going to make any it. sense. That's about it. Right, exactly <laughs> that, and like measurement stuff. Yeah. But the but he accurately pointed out that a kilometer is not a hundred meters. It's a thousand. And it's a thousand. Yeah. So I mean, we a, were both on board that a kilometer was. Right. Field. I why was that believable? Like in <laughs> retrospect, it's because it's much smaller, football right? Football fields but look huge. On TV, they're huge, yeah. right? But they're, they're <laughs> so not it's that like big. 10 so yeah, football fields. Yeah, ten football fields. See, but that seems insane to me. Ten right, football that, fields. But then a mile is right way longer. Yeah, than a no. Right. Ten blue whales. But How many blue whales? There, uh, it's three blue whales per football field. Oh, okay, okay. So I don't even want to try to do the math. 30, 30 right? Yeah. Am I dumb? Yeah. I'm like 30 no, like in a kilometer. Now. now I'm like afraid, yeah. <laughs> but 30 blue whales on a kilometer. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Which would be great. Yeah. I would love to see in the in the ocean, not on land on a football field, but like right. in the ocean, blue whales. I would... I would love, I uh, okay, like scuba diving seems, that scares me a little yeah. bit. Like that doesn't. You know what yeah, scares me is coming like, back up. Yeah. I have heard so many horror yeah. stories about people fucking up like the descent or whatever it is. Like the. Right. Where they like blow and they their brain get, like, out. Air bubbles. Yes. Right. Horrible. And everybody who does scuba diving is like. Uh, excuse me like you're a mermaid now and it's wonderful and like i'm so happy for people who do yeah. and people have i was i was with somebody who dropped her sunglasses into like the bottom of the ocean and oh. a scuba diver like brought him up and gave him back to her Amazing. and that was great thank you scuba man um I would but love to scuba. the under the cave scuba diving that yeah. never never no there's no amount of money no no amount of money I don't, I don't even, and I would like, I need money, you yeah, know right, I mean? right. but like no amount of money. I, no, Ugh, no. I will do that for us. No. I, for, if someone wants to pay us a million dollars, I will do that. Oof. Oof, oof, I oof, do oof, that. oof. No, I would rather touch a horse than, <laughs> than, That's pretty serious. than scuba dive in a, yeah. In a cave. But the, but sorry, just the scuba diving thing though, like imagine being like a scuba diver in the ocean and right. you could like touch a blue whale. Right. That I would love that. That sounds wonderful. Yes. I don't think they would mind. They seem gentle, yeah, right? They seem They're not fine. gonna object. They're certainly yeah. not gonna intentionally hurt you. Right. Accidents happen. Yeah. But, and that's yeah. you know. I don't know. That would be great though. I would love to touch a blue whale. Yeah. And like in the ocean, like on their turf. Yes. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, but no caves in real life. <laughs> it's in real life or underwater, which we all agree is imaginary. It's imaginary. Well, we don't. I mean, right. it's what eighty. What did I say? Eighty percent untouched or whatever. Right. No, guys. No. 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 There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine. It would be very scary. There's like someone would have to go first or it would have like I'm not going and discovering caves. That's a fuck. No, I will go into a cave that someone has been in several times. And can show me like around a, a big 
a big like single cave like a bear cave yeah. from a cartoon or something that's fine yeah that's that's totally fine like Deep little skinny caves no. no 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 oh no oh. no 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 that's a no no it's gonna fall I at would... any time no it's not <laughs> don't do it no. people get out no. get out get out get out no I would like to learn. I think it'd be great if we learned how to fly a plane. I love being up high. I will climb yeah. a mountain. I want to be up high. I don't want to be in the depths. Yeah. That is not. Guys. No. No. Don't do it. I know. Get out of there. Oh. Yeah. No. I. Uh-uh. I do have another fact, but I think maybe. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, sorry, well, sorry, I don't sorry. know. Maybe we should end it like this on a little. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun fact. Just yeah, try to do something fact. like positive, you know, after such a hard story. Yeah. Um, like, that's good. And today, you know, today is Sunday, the Lord's day. The Lord's um, day. as you know, sometimes Sundays can be very hard for me. I get the Sunday blues pretty bad. I yeah. have since I was a kid feeling good yeah. today. Um, been pretty busy. Good. So that's nice. Went to the dentist doing this. So that's, it's been nice, yeah. but um <laughs> my fact has to do with Sundays and Sundays the ice cream sundae. Um oh. So the reason that ice cream sundaes um are called Sundays was because in the late 1800s uh they would serve ice cream with soda, right? Like um a float. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much how ice cream was served for the most part Mm -hmm. um and for whatever reason in some states there were blue laws that prevented the sale the sale of soda on sundays or pop if you're from buffalo Mm -hmm. um and so people couldn't eat ice cream on sundays because they ate it with you know pop and uh so to get around this people were like i want my ice cream after church still right so to get around this they just put like a chocolate syrup on top with a cherry and they called it sunday in honor of the day sunday where they couldn't have ice cream normally in the way that they would normally eat it um and there's still some debate on who came up with that initially there's like a few you know, like Wisconsin's got their story, New York has their story, Illinois has their story. So there's like, you know, a few different yeah. Sunday uh, people, but it, it stemmed from that not being able to have pop on Sundays because it was illegal. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Blue laws, blue laws are so inconsistent now. Yeah. Right? That, like, I remember so being in... I boy guys I know that some of you are Irish and that's wonderful being Irish is just a great thing yeah. to be and we love you and I'm pretty sure so correct me if I'm wrong or if this has changed but I'm pretty sure the last time I was in Ireland they um I was there on a Sunday morning and they had like blocked off the section of the store where the alcohol was mm. because they like can't sell alcohol before like yeah. noon on a Sunday yeah. or something yeah. and that's like very specific yes. that's a very specific I rule. think that's how New York is Oh maybe yeah, it I is I think you're Do not allowed to buy alcohol before noon anywhere right like on any day um, Oh maybe it is any day I don't know 
alcohol is not not my thing right I right guess, yeah, it turns out. Like, so yes. i might not be too but familiar right but it's like random ass stuff like that it is it's random stuff where yeah it is it is or it, there's a town in new jersey boy yes. tell me if i get this wrong guys but i'm pretty sure you know what i'm talking yes. about there's a town in new jersey where there's like a big mall and they've like kept their blue law like where the mall can't be open on sunday yep. they've like kept it and the reason why people like even when it comes up and they're like should we get rid of this rule it's kind of weird everyone in town is like no because on saturday their like town is full of people coming from like everywhere else to go to the mall yeah and it like overwhelms their little town and sunday is just like a nice day chill where day. there's like chill day yeah. where nobody's like working and yeah and that is what's nice about blue laws yeah. if they produce that that you can have like a day of the week where Things are just nice and chill. Right. You know? Right. But they are very random. Yeah. Very random. Like, I wonder why. And I couldn't find the origin of, like, why it was bad or why they wanted to, like, not allow people to drink pop on Sundays. I wonder if it was, like, built around the, like, the socializing out thing. You know what I mean? Like if going was like a social activity that was out. Because I know some blue laws were designed to protect the workers. Like this should be closed so that the workers do not have to be there and they can go to church and take a nap and just be with their families or whatever, right? And then some blue laws are like to discourage like gambling on a Sunday. Right, right. Or drinking, drinking on Right. When you should be at church right. and stuff like that, like that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But that's, if you guys have local oh, gambling laws, laws oh no, my gosh, local yeah. blue laws or local uh, quirky laws in general, I just saw something and I will not remember what it was. There was some weird law. Oh, that Buffalo still has technically buffalo still has it on the books that every like establishment has to have a spittoon really and like not enforced no let no, me no. tell you guys <laughs> like not enforced no. nobody no one's getting nobody's a ticket for that. tickets for that <laughs> yeah exactly but um but it's still on the books so amazing um yeah i love it there's i love it i it, if a place had a spittoon that was in use, I would be, I would marvel. Yeah. What a, what a, what a wonderful, stinky relic of the past. Truly. And that seems like such yeah. a, it's, it's surprising me that there aren't. Like, I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, there's like a lot of pride in Buffalo, obviously, as a oh, lot yeah. of like smaller towns or whatever. Um, but... I don't know. It surprises me that people don't actually do that just for nostalgia's sake. Like this is still on the books. You know what I mean? Like it seems like a very Buffalo thing. Yeah. Just start it. Just bring like print the law off and like walk into (laughs) like Duff's or like, or um, Grace. No, wait, how am I not remembering this? How am I not remembering this? What is the name of that? Oh, Sons over on the east side or in black rock that's where it is right oh Sun, yes that like yeah. that burmese restaurant yep. walk in there print the law out and say excuse, <laughs> excuse me, me. where's your spittoon don't do that to them guys they're so nice no, no, just yeah. eat the food do it. it's so good yeah. go somewhere where they have a sense of humor yes, go to like, yeah, yeah. like a brewery or something right like that would be or perfect like go to nietzsche's go to nietzsche's yes perfect and say where's your spittoon they'll do yeah. it they'll do they it will 100 percent do or it like yeah 
There we go. Okay. Sorry, Nietzsche's apologies in advance. <laughs> yeah. But um oh, I love you. I love you Thank you for getting through yeah, this. Yeah, thanks for really telling that. It's important. Rough story. It's important. Yeah, it is important, right? Yeah. I have a very though, guys, there's a lot of stories with there's two stories that I've pretty much written off from the beginning of doing this show, and both of them involve fire. And yeah. I try to space these ones out because they are horrible yeah but um but if you don't ever tell the story then like the people who i don't know don't they i don't know it just yeah seems it's, a, like, it's important to yeah to do that to cover it oh but i love you very much you mariah we love all of you guys Peace. you're all wonderful Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you've made it this far, thank you, because um, this was a tough one. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. You can also email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. We do love your emails. Take care of yourself. We'll see you next week. Bye.